grow up. That's the message of Hebrews chapter 6. Grow up. You know, we sometimes tell our children, our students that we work with, if you don't want me to be mean, then listen to me when I'm nice. You know, you had a teacher tell you that, you don't want a mean teacher, so listen to me when I'm nice. I never quite understood that until I became a parent. So look, if you don't like me yelling at you, then listen and obey when I speak softly to you. We have a sense of that in Hebrews chapter 6. Throughout this entire book, there have been warnings. In fact, there are five warning passages altogether. We're going to look at the fourth one. This one is by far the most severe. And you have to wonder, is it so severe because people are not listening? It is uh, perhaps one of the, if not the most difficult passages to interpret. Um, If you could ask any scholar and get a whole group of them together, they'd list the top five. This would be in that top five, if not the top. And so I get to have the great joy of explaining it to you, (laughs) Uh, and uh, I feel very inadequate for the task. So uh, there will be some uh, who will, including myself, will walk out of here and think, you know, there's more than one way of looking at that, and I say, yes, there is. But somewhere along the way, you've got to decide, this is the way I'm going to look at it uh, and interpret this and explain it. And uh, it is for this passage, while I was very reluctant even to go to the book of Hebrews, because um, I, I knew that I'd have to deal with this chapter. Uh, but I figured I'd have to do it sometime in my life. And so, I guess today is the day. And so, we're going to look at this passage. And one thing that we can all agree, and most people can agree on, is the application. And that is simply, it is that we are to grow up. That is the general theme throughout this passage, and in fact, it gives us a few helps in how to do that. Spiritually, it is necessary, get that, necessary to grow up, and you'll see how necessary it is as we read this together, and uh, just kind of give you a review, I want you to catch the theme that we have looked at over the few weeks and kind of give it to you all at one time. In chapter 2, verse 1, the Hebrew writer says to the audience, pay close attention to the message you've heard, lest you drift away. In chapter 3, verse 1, he warns them to consider Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says, do not harden your hearts like Israel did in the wilderness. In chapter 3, verse 12, he says, take care lest you have an evil heart of unbelief. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Fear, lest you fail to enter God's rest. In chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Be diligent to enter God's rest, lest you fall by disobedience. In chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Hold fast to your confession. Do you get the theme that he is uh, going for throughout the entirety of this book? And is coming to a crescendo... And the end of chapter 5 and in chapter 6, he says, there is a problem. You guys are having a problem. And I'm seeing the tendency, the direction you guys are walking in, or you all, depending on where the Hebrew writer was from, uh, this is the direction you're going in. You need 
to take care. This is dangerous, slopey territory that you are walking on. And he gives them stern warning. And the most stern we'll look at today. And we're going to begin with chapter 5, verse 11. And we'll go through chapter 6, uh, verse 8. Probably make some references to verse 12 as well. And just as a reminder, he had been talking a little bit, uh, briefly, about Jesus as the high priest and following the order of this fellow by the name of Melchizedek. We just touched on that last week. And it's as if he just, as he's writing that, he just kind of sighs and thinks, these folks aren't going to get that. And he starts going on this little parentheses within the parentheses of saying, all right, let's back up a little bit. There's a lot more I want to talk to you about this, but you know, you guys need to start listening and you need to grow up and tells them all the reasons why. And then he gets back into Melchizedek. All right. So it's, it's kind of like this is an instant thought as he's writing this and he, he's just sharing and venting a little bit and giving us some stern warnings in, in that mode. So with that being said, let's stand as we read together chapter five, verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened to have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then having fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. You may be seated. As we read that, I know if you're like me, you're drawn to the latter part of what we read. And thinking, oh my goodness, I wonder what this means. I think in that uh, desire to understand the latter part, sometimes we overlook the first part. And there are some gems in this first part that we read. And I want us to take note of that. Uh, notice uh, verse 11. He says and diagnoses the problem that he's kind of hinted at all throughout. And the passages we've read. Consider Christ, hold fast, do not go astray, do not drift. All these things he's saying, here's the problem. Verse 11, you've become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. 
And he explains that a little bit more, saying that, you know, by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be mature, grown in the faith and growing in the faith, but instead you are still as those who are drinking milk as babies, and that's the image here, is biological growth compared to spiritual growth, that just as babies are to have a certain diet to help them grow, so new believers are to have a certain diet to help them grow, but once mastering these principles, there are some other teachings that they are to go upon and grow toward. And that's the idea here that he's bringing out. But let's look at this dull of hearing. That word dull is also used in chapter 6, verse 12. Uh, If you notice that, it's translated differently though. So that you may not be sluggish. Sluggish. Alright? And so this dullness that we're talking about is sluggish. A laziness, a dim-wittedness on the audience's part, on hearing. Now, the hearing in question is not just physical hearing, all right? They had ears, they could listen. The problem was that they were not listening with faith. It's as if the words were coming into their ears, going through their mind and, and being translated, but all of a sudden in the translation and into the eternalizing of a person, it hit something hard. Have you ever tried to chop some wood? Have you tried to chop sweet gum before? I'm telling you, sweet gum is a worthless tree. Provides shade and that's all I can figure from it. But if you ever try to chop a sweet gum, you'll hit something. And you'll get to the soft part, but bam, all of a sudden it just gets stuck. And you feel it vibrating in your arms and think, ah, this axe isn't working. What am I going to do? It's as if the word of God is coming to someone's heart and is getting into the ears, but it's getting to the heart and bam, it hits something. And it doesn't penetrate. It doesn't become a part of the person. You can talk to them all day, but they don't take it and make it a part of them. And so this is the frustration of the audience, of the, of the writers. Like, I'm telling you stuff, and you're hearing the gospel, but you're not internalizing it. You become dull of hearing sluggish in your hearing. And so, um, it's similar to Hebrews 4.2, what he said in just a couple of chapters earlier. He says, For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard they did not benefit from, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So, I think that when we put Hebrews 4, verse 2, with this passage... It tells us that the remedy for dull hearing is hearing with faith. Believing what you hear. Believing what you hear. So you go on to verse 12 and it talks about that some of you need to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. In other words, the ABCs of God's word. The basic ideas from which everything is built upon. You need to learn these again. You need milk, not solid food. And notice verse 13. He talks about what immaturity is. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. What does that mean to be unskilled in the word of righteousness? Well, verse 14, he gives the opposite. By looking at the opposite, maybe we can understand this. But solid food is for mature. What does it mean to mature? Well, this is what it means. For those who have the powers of discernment trained... By constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Maturity is not just head knowledge. Notice that? 
Powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It is the idea that there is a moral, a moral reflection of maturity. You want to be sure? You discern between good and evil and reject the evil and follow the good. Okay? That is what it means to be mature. We understand that with, with our children. Uh, I, I saved Evan's life yesterday. And if I think about it, I've probably saved his life every day. If it wasn't me, it was Julie. Parenting is learning how to save people's lives. <laughs> because children do not discern that which is dangerous. Yesterday, I saved Evan from getting decapitated by a dog's leash. Our leash hurt very bad. And that was just, you know, the day's work. And so that's why parents consider who they let babysit because they know that that life of that child will very likely depend on that babysitter. And so the problem is that little Evan will wander around and he will walk right out of a window because he cannot discern that walking out of a window will kill him. All right? That's children. That's children. Maturity is as they learn these dangers and they avoid these dangers. Spiritually speaking, it is the same. There are people who will engage in practices and, and patterns of thought and uh, in relationships that will be deadly to their soul, but they cannot discern that it is evil and they flirt with it and they play with it like a child might play with a rattlesnake. It is spiritually immature. The question is not how many verses you know in your head. It is not how many books of the Bible that you can summarize and give the argument for. It is not how many times you attend a church or whether you sing in the choir or whether you have jobs of responsibility or whether you have a bumper sticker that proclaims Christ on your car. Can you... Discern patterns in your life that will destroy your soul and you avoid them. If you do not, there is an immaturity there. So, you ever want to know what it means to be mature? It tells us right here in verse 13 and 14. Those who are mature or have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, there is an an exercise that is being done. There are patterns, there's habits, there's lifestyle that says that has the marks of something that will rob my affections from Christ. The Bible makes clear multitudes of things that are right and wrong, but there are a whole slew of decisions you make every day that's not spelled out in the Word of God in the Bible. But there are principles in the Word of God that gives you direction. There are some things that says, you know, if I engage in this activity, it will steal my affection for Jesus. Maybe that should be the guide. Have you ever asked yourself in, that, in the day, if, what, what can I do in my day that will increase my affection for Jesus Christ? 
And what are the things that I do in a day that decrease my affections for Jesus? What are these things that, that I can discern between what is good and evil? This is the thought pattern of someone who is seeking God. Now, one thing that I want to bring to your attention, and that I think Hebrews brings to your attention, is that the Christian life, there is no coasting. It is as if you are in a car going up the hill without brakes. So you know what that means? Either you're going up or you're rolling back. You can't just stay on that hill. You've got to press the gas or you're rolling back. That is the Christian walk. Either you're progressing or you're falling. Which one? And that is why we want to make sure that we're paying attention to this passage that tells us to grow up. We grow up, one, by hearing by faith. Grow up by hearing by faith. To not be dull-witted, but instead take the message of chapter 4, verse 2, and say that we will listen and unite these words that we're hearing, the, re- the reading of the Word of God, we're going to unite it with faith. Alright? We grow up by discerning and practicing good from evil. We grow up by listening by faith and we grow up by discerning and practicing good from evil. Now, verse, chapter 6, verse 1, and, and really, as we've said before, the, the chapter divisions are not the best here. Uh, this continues on with the same thought. Therefore, because this is what maturity is, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgments. There are six uh, practices uh, given in couplet form uh, that he identifies as elementary teachings. Elementary teachings. Listen, that first one, repentance of dead works and faith toward God. You've got the negative and you've got the positive. These This is the foundation of what it means to walk with Christ. Godliness, listen, godliness is not just the absence of sin. Godliness is the abundance of repentance. Do you understand that? Godliness is not just the absence of sin, but instead rather it is the abundance of repentance. You want to know how godly a person is? You understand how quickly they repent. How quickly they repent. And how much they repent from. Because the fact of the matter is, as you grow in the Word of God and you stand the Word of God, you see more and more sin in your life. And so you think, well, godliness is the absence of sin. No. It is the realization of how far away we are from Christ. But instead, it is the abundance of repentance. If you are reluctant to repent, it shows our immaturity. It shows our immaturity. And so this is a foundation of repentance from good works and of faith toward God. They go hand in hand, faith toward God. <clears throat> and then we have the instructions about baptisms are about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead, internal judgments. Now, I want to make this note. All six of these things are not distinctly Christian. Remember, these are folks who are Jews. They could be good Jews and practice these six things. Because these six things were also taught in Judaism. 
the, they had the washings, the, the cleansing ceremonies of the Old Covenant. Uh, the, they would have the laying on of hands. This could refer to uh, ritual blessings. It could be the healing of the sick. It could be the ministering of the Holy Spirit, uh, of, of giving the Holy Spirit in that early church period. Uh, it could be the acknowledgement of a particular ministry, setting them apart for that purpose. Uh, it could be alluding to the, the, the laying out of hands of the Old Testament, putting in on um, the scapegoat, transferring the sins of a people into the goat. Uh, and so there are these Old Testament uh, practices and the early church practices that they were doing. And so these laying out of hands, the ceremonial washings, may not have necessarily been distinctive, distinctively Christian, but they were foundation. They were a foundation to understanding Christ. And so he says, these are good things to know. You to master these things. You should understand that there is a resurrection of the dead. And that is your hope. You should understand that there is eternal judgment. That there is repentance from dead works. Faith toward God. But let's go on beyond these things to those things that which are distinctly of Christ. Verse 3. I think it's interesting. And this we will do if God permits. We'll do what? We'll grow up. We'll grow up past the elementary things to the things distinctly of Christ if God permits. Wow. You know what that tells me? That tells me, and and I know this in my head too, experientially, is that for me to overcome my natural pride, for me to overcome my natural rebellion, my unbelief, it means I must rely on God. God permitted so in my life. And maybe I should make that a prayer. God, will you permit it so that I will repent from my rebellion, my natural pride, my unbelief? Assure you, let me assure you, you too also need God's help to overcome those three things. Your natural pride, your rebellion, your unbelief. If you don't think so, you are a fool and naive. And you've not done much evaluating of yourself. This is something that God will help us do. Now verse 4, this is where things get a little dicey. Um, we've, we've learned that we're, we're growing up. We're growing up by, by uniting the word of God with faith, listening by faith. We're growing up by distinguishing and practicing good from evil. We're, we're growing up by, by continuing on the milk, the elementary doctrines of faith and repentance and going on to those things of Christ. But now we come to verse 4. And the author here is giving us one more tool that we will not think necessarily to help us grow up. And that is by scaring us. <laughs> by simply scaring us. It is to, uh, to show us the alternative. Alternative. Alright, verse 4. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, shared the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, there are various uh, views of interpretation to this passage. Uh, one view of interpretation is to say, these people are once believers, but they have lost their salvation, and now there is nothing but eternal judgment in front of them, and there is no hope for repentance. And that is one interpretation. However... I would reject that interpretation for several reasons. And, and uh, there's some scripture passages in other parts of the Bible. Uh, if we can display those, uh, you can write these down yourself. 
Uh, John chapter 6, verse 39, verse 40. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 27, 29. All these that you see listed. These are other passages that make very clear in uncertain terms that those who God hold, who, who they embrace Jesus as their Savior and Lord, God will work in their life and there is no loss of salvation. Those whom God saves, God will keep. And so, because I look at these passages as well as some others I'm going to bring to you in the the book of Hebrews, I will reject this view and say, no, that cannot be the interpretation. Now, there are another view of interpretation that sees this. John MacArthur has made popular uh, as a hypothetical situation. That this isn't something that's really happening, but hypothetically speaking, if someone was to do these things and, and experience God and reject Christ, there would be no hope for salvation. Uh, one, I have a hard time understanding it, uh, so it makes it so I have a hard time following it. Uh, the second uh, is the, the warnings. In this passage, do not seem to fit a hypothetical situation. The warnings seem very serious and dire as well in the entirety of the book of Hebrews, not just in this passage. And this makes me think that perhaps hypothetically speaking, it's not an accurate or the best uh, view of this. Now... Um, the view that I will tend to go toward is that these are people who profess Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Who profess Jesus as their Savior and Lord has experienced some powerful things of God in religious experiences. But, what is the mark of a believer? 1 John as well as Hebrews, has a mark of the believer, not only that they embrace Christ by faith, ask for forgiveness of their sins, coming by faith alone, but a mark of a believer is that they will persevere, that they will continue in their faith to their end, to the end. In fact, 1 John, in regard to those who had left their fellowship, he said, they left because they were not of us. And so that seemed to be John's understanding, is that there are those who profess Christ, but it is revealed by time. Revealed by time. We, in America, put great emphasis on the beginning. They pray to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They profess Christ. They've been baptized. And we will mark the growth of a church by how many baptisms will occur, how many professions of faith will occur. But as I read Matthew and I read Hebrews, I read 1 John, I read this, and it seems to have great emphasis, not on just the beginning, but how they ended. How they ended. Did they continue in the faith? Now, let's look at this. These people have been enlightened. They've made, made known to them what was once unknown. They've tasted the heavenly gift. It seems to be a... a uh, an emphasis on Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. Some will say, well, is this a uh, shared in the Holy Spirit in the sense that they've been in common with the church fellowship and they've seen the Spirit of God working among them? I would say that this person probably has also been convicted by the Spirit of God as well. Uh, they've, they've seen these things, God's working and, and drawing, and, and, but yet there was not words of belief and profession that continued through the end. 
They've tasted the goodness of the word of God. They've experienced the word of God. They've heard the word of God. They've sat in church and they've heard the word of God taught to them. They've listened to it on the radio. They've seen it or heard it from their mother and fathers or their grandparents. They've experienced the gospel and heard what it's had to say. But if they fall away, if they fall away, if they're unrepentant, Numbers 14, verse 29 and 30 seems to be the original image of this, this terminology. And the wilderness journey as those did not believe the word of God. The, God said to them that your dead body shall fall in this wilderness. And all of your number. And so it seems to be hinting on that same image that has been introduced to us in chapter 3 of the wilderness journey. Since they're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. In other words, they have seen the, the sway of the world, the charms of the world. They've seen the beauty of Christ. And they said, I've chosen the charms of this world over the beauty of this Christ. I've cho- chosen the pride of this world over the beauty of, the cry, of Christ. Think about it. It is the pride of this world. It is the sin of the world that first crucified Jesus to begin with. And so when they see this and they say, I choose this world, I choose the delights, the pride, the charms of this world. They're saying, I choose that which crucified Jesus to begin with. And they put him to shame, once knowing who Christ is and saying, no thanks, no thanks. And it has this image of a, of a lamb, it's getting rain, it's getting nutrients, it's being cultivated. But instead of the blessings that come from the land, it's bringing thistles, and, and thorns, and the Bible describes it as being cursed and needs to be burned. We see that uh, this seems to be talking about a very severe judgment. One of the other theories about this passage is that this is the loss of rewards. Not loss of salvation, but the loss of rewards. But when I read this last passage, verse 7 and 8, I think, no. This is more than just loss of rewards. Now, let me take you through the book of Hebrews here for a little bit. And I, I want to try to build you up because some of you are really kind of concerned uh, about what I'm, what I'm saying. Um, consider Hebrews chapter 3 verse 14. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 14 says this. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance Firm until the end. Notice it does not say we will have become partakers of Christ. But we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. What does that mean? The mark and the evidence of someone who is partaking with Christ will hold fast their assurance firm until the end. It's not something holding fast your assurance firm to the end. It's not a prerequisite that you're partakers of Christ, but it is evidence that you are a partaker of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 6 is very much the same way. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. A mark of being the house of God is that we will hold fast our confidence and boasting in hope. Now, consider Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, says, By one offering, 
He has perfected for all time. Notice how much? For all time. Those who are being sanctified. See it? Present tense. Being sanctified. By one offering for all time, the sins of Jared. The sins of Jared was covered by the one sacrifice of Jesus. For all time, all of my sins were taken care of by the sin, by the, by the cross of Jesus Christ, by his offering, and I am being sanctified. It is a present tense action that is based on what Jesus has done for me for all time. You see the assurance of that, the confidence in that, that I'm not worried about some sin that's being uncovered, or, but Jesus is taking care of it. He did it for all time, past, present, and future, including future sins. But it is bringing me to a state where I am clinging to the hope of Jesus Christ. Remember that rock analogy? We're holding on to the rock of Jesus Christ. But we're seeing here that the rock is also holding on to us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. Now, the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you and every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Verse 20 is speaking of an eternal covenant sealed by the blood of Jesus. He's going to talk a lot more about that in chapters 8 and 9. But notice what verse 21 says, that I, it's not finally dependent on me on whether or not I will persevere in the faith and bear fruit. It is finally dependent on God. He is working in me and us that which is pleasing in his sight. The mark of those who partake in Christ is that they will endure to the end. They will hold fast, firm their confession, their hope. But it is God who is working it in us. Now, let me, let me make this real personal here and help you understand. What does this all mean? If I consider chapter 5, 6, and chapter 13 and all these things, what does this mean for me? Let's just say in the coming years, this is something I read and made it a lot of, brought a lot of sense to me. I want to read it to you. If something happened to me in the coming years and I fall away from Christ as a pastor... I will fall away, and it's not because I've not tasted of the Word of God. I have tasted of the Word of God. I've tasted the Spirit of God. I've tasted of the miracles of God. I have drunk from His Word. The Spirit has touched me. I've seen His miracles. I've been the instrument of the Lord. And a few of these things, much like the one in Matthew 7, 22, Jesus said to him, and the one who claimed, I've driven out demons in your name. Jesus said, I've never known you. But, over the next 10 years, 5, 20 years, however long my life may be, I, Jared, begin to cool off spiritually. I start to lose interest in spiritual things. I get more fascinated with making money, getting my name known, 
I start buying the lie that a new wife would be exhilarating, my children would be able to fend for themselves, the church is a drag and a burden to my heart, the incarnation is a myth, that there's only one life to live, so let's just make the best of it now and have fun. If it happens, to understand this, I, Jared, I've been mightily deceived in the first 35 years of my life. My faith was not true, it was not real, it was an alien vestige of a father's joy. My faithfulness to my wife was done for temporary passions and, and to comply with social norms. A fatherhood was the outworking of natural instincts. My preaching was done by the love of words and crowds. And to hear my name applauded. And praying, praying was an attempt to get God to supply the resources for my vanity. If that possibility doesn't make us serious and vigilant in pursuit of everlasting joy, what will? What will? Grow up. We grow up because the other alternative is to grow away. But the resources to grow up are given to us by God himself. Is given to the Word of God. So let us embrace the Word of God by faith. Let us let the gospel conform and change our heart to discern and practice good from evil. Do not flirt with evil. Do not let anything steal the affections that belong to Jesus Christ. I heard and read of an analogy this, this week. I talked about a, a vulture finding a, a corpse of, a, of an animal on an ice float. And there was this ice float in a stream at which the end would be a waterfall. The vulture, wanting something to eat, got into the ice and started eating. Knowing and sensing the waterfall was going, was coming closer and closer, thinking, it's okay, I've got wings, I'm destined to fly, I'm alright, let me keep eating. But at the last moment, when he saw the waterfall fly, or come, he starts to fly to find that his talons have been frozen to the ice. And there, his doom awaited. And his security, thinking that he was destined for the sky, he flirted with the corpse. Listen, do you hear the warning? Brothers and sisters, grow up in our flirtation with that which is evil and thinking it's okay because God will just after all forgive us. We are destined for heaven. And you find that in the end, it has stolen your heart. Depend on God. This word is given to us so that we might trust mightily in God, not in your abilities. Hear this word and unite it with faith. 
Believe in God. Let repentance grow in your life. Discern that which is evil from good and practice good from evil. Continue in repentance and faith toward God. And hear this word of warning and let the warning drive you to God. And reach out to the rock and let the rock reach out to you. Let's pray.